Please be advised that this episode deals with concepts that may be disturbing. View show notes for more information. Listener's discretion is advised. MedCrate presents Flatline, When Medicine Kills. Would you trust your doctor if they were a serial killer? Hey everyone, I'm Detective Martin Randolph. And I'm Everly, Detective Randolph's partner who he dragged into this. I mean, you could always be unemployed. And we are Flatline, when medicine killed. Let's just get on with this. We talk about bloody, gory crimes. You know, the good ones, the ones that leave your hands stained and your mind satisfied. Miss Martinez, that's not really- Detective Randolph and I have experience as detectives, and the good detective here even went to med school for a while. That was, of course, before the dissection. Now, I let other people cut up stuff, and I stare over their shoulder. Chicken. I like those in my mouth more than I like it on my dissection table. That's what she said! Ha! You! We're back, and I haven't been murdered. Now, let's get on to the show. Took you long Every enough. Every month, we'll be talking about a new serial killer. Oh, is this me? This month, it's Harold Chipman. Let's start with the basics. Harold Chipman was born on January 14th, 1946, in Nottingham, England. Miss Martinez? <sighs> I have to say all of this? Okay. His interest for medicine developed when he was 17, while he watched his mother, who was at the time dying of lung cancer, receive morphine injections to ease her pain. She died in 1963. That's pretty rough. Strange, too. Not the part where his interest in medicine increased because of his mother dying. That's actually really common. Having childhood trauma affects what career you pursue. But the morphine injections in particular are intriguing, especially when you consider his crimes. Mm-hmm. Never have I ever seen someone get a shot and be like, nice. Well, he took on a position as a general practitioner anyways, at the Abraham Omarod Medical Center in Todmorden, West Yorkshire, in 1970. In the early days of his career, he was caught forging himself prescriptions for pethidine, a synthetic opioid pain medication used for the treatment of moderate to severe pain. He was fined 600 pounds and, because he was addicted, was ordered to attend a rehab clinic in New York. Huh, that's pretty interesting. You can actually face consequences for drug smuggling. Who would have thought? Miss Martinez! Anyways, I'm sure someone would have had a pretty good guess of the type of person he would become from that incident alone. But his medical career didn't stop there. He started working as a general practitioner at Dunnybrook Medical Center in 1977. Is that... It's in the UK. Just Google mapped it. You put these together. Did you not do your research? Are you looking at it in street view? Answer the question, Martin. I was in a rush. Stop checking out pubs in the area. What? Just pay attention, please. Anyways, as time went on, he earned himself the reputation of being a trustworthy and hardworking doctor. See, Martin, this is the reason for my trust issues. But last time, you said it was from the newspaper guy. Don't you dare! Anyways, in 1998, someone finally noticed that things weren't adding up. Linda Reynolds, who worked at the Department of Surgery at Dunnybrook, along with a local undertaker, realized that there was an unusually high death rate amongst Chipman's patients. 
Adding to the concern was a large number of cremation forms for elderly women that Shipman needed countersigned. His career was still at its peak, though, as his reputation of being caring and trustworthy grew. For that reason, it cannot be ascertained when exactly he began his killing streak. Shipman easily covered up lethal doses of diamorphine as death by natural causes in the death certificates of his victims. Hey, if I ever die of natural causes, open up a murder investigation, mortality can't claim me. Avenge me like Angela Woodruff set out to do for her mother, Kathleen Grundy, one of Shipman's victims. Angela Woodruff was a lawyer and was suspicious of Shipman as well, especially after the death of her rather healthy and wealthy mom. Kathleen Grundy was 81 when she was found dead in her home on June 24, 1998, just hours after a Harold Shipman visitation. Harold Shipman advised that an autopsy wasn't necessary, and Kathleen Grundy was buried. It did, after all, seem somewhat reasonable, considering her age. But then this doctor goes on to forge Kathleen Grundy's will, writing the entire house to his name. We're talking about a house that was valued at 400,000 pounds. Isn't that like 12 million Canadian dollars today? I could buy so many trench coats with that money. But come on, did he really think people would believe that? What's the modern equivalent of that? Oh, I got you Tylenol, then mommy your firstborn. Naturally, Angela Woodruff refused to accept the explanations of what happened to her mother. As she dug deeper, Woodruff found two versions of Grundy's will. This prompted a post-modem revealing Grundy actually died of a morphine overdose, administered just around the time Shipman visited her house. Hmm, I think I'd just like to add here that when we talk about these overdoses of diamorphine he's administering, it's scary to realize that this is someone who saw the drug being used to help his mother with her pain, did trauma play a part in his killings? I guess we can't say for sure, but the impact that trauma has on a person's psychological well-being cannot be ignored. Does it justify his actions in any way? I think that's something up for debate, but we don't want to get too controversial here. Okay, Socrates. <clears throat> Thank you for your uh, philosophical spiraling, but even his intentions were up for debate. As you mentioned, his mother's death could have definitely played a role. Perhaps he thought he was avenging her? And some think he was practicing euthanasia to eliminate the elderly, under some kind of twisted belief that they were a burden to the healthcare system. What's worse is another theory suggesting that he derived pleasure from the killings because as the victim's doctor, he had the power to decide who lived and who died? I think this man really read his job description wrong. Yeah, you'd think people would become doctors for the money, but no. Financial gain didn't seem to be a major motive, even after the whole botched attempt at forging the will of Kathleen Grundy, his last victim. Well, I think it's relieving to know that all of his crimes eventually did end up surfacing. On September 7, 1998, he was raided and arrested at his home. The police found an odd collection of jewelry and an old typewriter, the instrument that he used to commit the forgery of Grundy's will. After that, they caught on to the trail of the rest of the murders. The police created a list of 15 specimens to investigate. Through a conducting a thorough investigation, they found evidence that proved he was methodically using lethal doses of diamorphine to kill his patients. To cover up his crimes and blame the death of his victims on natural causes, he falsified their medical records. This guy really doesn't know how to stop, though. Shipman and his wife still denied all charges, claiming innocence. The conclusion of the trial spanning from October 5, 1999 to January 31, 2000, however, was that he was guilty of 15 murders and an act of forgery. He 
received a life sentence and was recommended to never be released. The General Medical Council struck him off the register 10 days afterwards. Rightfully so. Just shy of four years after the sentencing, serial killer Harold Chipman hung himself using bedsheets and the window bars of his cell at Wakefield Prison. To the relatives of the victims, this caused great disappointment as they would never get a confession or any sort of justification for his actions from his side. As ever, his intentions are ambiguous. We don't quite know why he committed suicide. It's speculated that he may have done so to secure his wife's financial stability, as he clearly couldn't claim his National Health Service pension. And maybe he didn't kill himself at all, but was murdered in his cell. We might never know. The Shipman case sparked several changes made to the standard medical procedures of Britain, including death certification practices. As it should. It's baffling how so many deaths were so easily concealed by the idea that he was such a compassionate doctor. Your nice guy trope, but a million times worse. Indeed, he really took advantage of the trust his normal and healthy patients had in him and most definitely engaged in a very severe form of medical malpractice. And because of this, his crimes were particularly repulsive to the public. For all you aspiring medical professionals out there, I think this is my message. Sometimes patients do indeed trust their lives with you, and it becomes your duty to do your best to help them by providing them with the best treatment and care. Exactly, Detective. This case really highlights how empathy and humanity are and always will be essential in healthcare, no matter what. Absolutely. These kinds of conversations around healthcare ethics are vital, ubiquitous, and ever-changing. And we encourage you all to continue the conversation. I think that was all we really had to share with you guys today. Not bad for a first episode, huh? It would have been even better if I was allowed to make any more of my amazing jokes here and there, but I mean, yeah, this was definitely an interesting case for us to look into. I doubt you had many, if any, appropriate jokes to make. Like your jokes were any better. <laughs> right. Okay, everyone. Thank you for joining us on the first episode of Flatline, When Medicine Kills. Until another intriguing case, we bid you adieu. Honestly, we can just change this if you find a better way to end it off, because I, I have no clue. I'll think of something at 3 a.m. Just... Really? You just had to add the part about the drug dealing? You can't always shy away from it. For God's sake, Martin, we need to talk. Thank you for listening to this episode of Flatline, When Medicine Kills. Follow us on Spotify, Instagram, at medcreate.mhs, and be sure to rate us on Apple Podcasts. This podcast was written by Aburami K, Michelle L, Catherine R, Ivy H, and Ananya P. Research was gathered by Perrin M and Trey T. Martin Randolph was voiced by Carlo L, and Everly Martinez was voiced by Casey F. Editing was done by Akshita N, William W, and Anna T. Sound editing done by Jade F. Music composed by Ivy H, executive producers Anna T, and Ananya P. See you next time.